0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode twenty-one. Richard is back from Vegas, and uh we're gonna talk about that. Uh as always, what's up Richard? Good to have you back from Vegas. You're you're alive.
1: Hey guys. I, I made it to Vegas
2: and back. <laughs> uh
0: with me always, Chaz, is uh Seth. Seth, what's up?
2: Not much, guys. How you guys doing?
0: Doing okay. So on our agenda for today, we're going to be talking about uh, Richard's Vegas, Crazy Vegas stories. Um, we have this, uh, what I would call a uh, interesting story uh, coming out of GP Vegas uh, involving Pascal Maynard, uh, what people are coining as Goif Gate. So I guess we'll be chiming in on that, even though, I mean, I, I think it's kind of lame, but... Uh, ultimately, it ended up being a, uh, a happy ending, I guess, so far, hopefully. Um, and then we're going to talk about a lot of fish mail, and uh, there's no deck list to talk about this week, so mainly we're going to just be talking about, oh, and we're going to talk about price movement too, so price movement, fish mail, uh, GP Vegas, and this Goyfgate story. So, Richard, uh, why don't you just uh, start us off, and how was Vegas?
1: Uh, Vegas was extremely hot. Uh, <laughs> there, there are a lot
0: of Magic players there. So first I'll give you guys my initial impressions
1: of Modern Masters cards, because uh, I actually found it very interesting. So the boxes are pretty loose. If you just take uh, the pack and, and shake it around, it rattles quite a bit, so I can see where the damage came from. Um, but the packs themselves look pretty cool. Um, if Somehow they were secure and safe. I love the new packs. They, they have a real old-school feel to it. I don't know if you guys are old enough for this, but... I don't know, like in the 80s or 90s, we had like these, uh, you know, the trading cards came in these kind of like wax wrapping things, and it kind of reminded me of that, where it's like square, fits the size of the card, and then uh, it looks really crisp and clean. So the yes. packaging looks great. If they could get the security down on it and the protection down, I think it would be awesome. Uh, the cards are printed with another printer, so they, they actually looked quite fake to me when I opened the cards. Uh, they're like super glossy, hmm. and uh, they're they're darker. The foiling process is not as nice. Like, you can see kind of streaks in the, the foil. Um, so they definitely did some kind of different printing process than uh your typical expert expansion set.
0: Is it more of like akin to like a from-the-vault printing type thing or not quite that?
1: Uh, I haven't looked at too many from-the-vault cards, so I'm not sure. Like, the one thing I noticed about foils is you can see the streaks in the foil. Uh So that that was a little weird for me. Um, it's not as clean and crisp as like the regular foils, uh, but so so those were the cards. Um, for the GP itself, uh, the the pool I opened and registered sucks crap. It had a Tyranitar <laughs> Titan in it, um, and uh, you know a lot of people, my friends, one of them opened only a Daybreak Coronet. Uh, another opened zero dollars in value. Uh, of course, there were people running around with Goist and Elish Norns in the same pool. Um, <laughs> the pool I was passed, however, was pretty sweet. I was sitting beside uh this guy who was really set on top eating the Grand Prix. Uh I don't think he actually topped eight. But uh his pool had uh a foil click and a foil daybreak cornet and uh that was the pool that I had to verify and then we got to keep the pool verified. So I walked over that pool. And uh in addition to all that uh, awesome value, the pool was actually pretty good. Uh I made uh I went six two and lost my winning into day two. Uh, the third round, or the ninth round. So after like 13 hours of magic, I walked away with nothing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the the pool was good. I it, it was a really weird day for me. I lost every single die roll for nine rounds. I actually kept track of that. I played a green deck in every single round. All of my opponents oh, were either three right. color, four color, or five color. <laughs> and I was running around with black-white sacrifice. Uh, I had... uh a profane command, to pillory of the sleepless, a Bonesplainers, Splinters, a nameless inversion of sun and, uh, what is that, ghost council of Orzava. So I was just packed with removal, and then I had a little, like, sub-theme of tokens and equipment. Um, so, it was a pretty sweet deck. I wasn't really prepared. I learned everything I learned from, uh, for limited from Jake. <laughs> it served me well. Uh, but it, it was fun. The community was great. The convention center was huge. Um, they had two GPs going on simultaneously. Uh, I actually was late to one of my rounds and got a game lost because uh, uh, I couldn't hear geez. the announcement because the convention center was so large. Um, I was talking to some side judges. They said, like, side events were kicking off at, like, 2,500 people, which is the size of a small GP. So wow. we had, like, GPs within GPs. Uh, it was pretty awesome. Um but it's quite the spectacle, and as you're playing the rounds, you can see who had too much to drink and who was out too late. You know, we're all sitting there like, "Ah, oh, I had four hours of sleep," and like, "Ah, oh, I just want to go home." And <laughs> you know, it's 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 pretty interesting. It's it's unfortunate that I lost in the ninth round. My buddies went like O two drop, like not even O three drop, just O two drop, and then uh, went to the pool and had some drinks. And I was like slaving away at the tables, like grinding out magic. Um, but but yeah, GP Vegas. I think it was awesome, and uh, you know, there there was just like the community was like so awesome there. Like everyone's super friendly, and you know, it, it it had a really good vibe. It didn't feel like um, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't like super serious in the sense that like people were trying to like cheat other people or anything like that. Uh, it, it felt right. pretty good. I don't know if I heard any stories of people like getting their stuff stolen or not, but it was overall pretty friendly, and it it was a more I would say a more casual Grand Prix than your typical Grand Prix, just because of like a number of people, like a lot of people that don't regularly play competitive Magic came out, um. So, so it was pretty fun.
0: That's that's awesome to hear. Yeah, there were a few stories. I mean, there's always going to be a couple stories coming out of like things being stolen or misplaced, but um, nothing uh, too crazy that I heard. Uh, I know some money was stolen or something like that, but I mean. And, like, with with, with 7,500 people being there, something's bound to happen, which is unfortunate. But, you know, I, I'm glad it wasn't, like, so bad that, you know, it was unenjoyable. It, that's really good to hear that it was enjoyable overall.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, Channel Fire of All, like, just raked in the money that weekend. <laughs> like, I, I, I was hearing, like, I'm rumors so, that they yeah. were running out of product, like, for huh. the, the Sunday events. Like, they, really? they were getting low that they were going to run out and they couldn't fire off any more uh, side events. Um, you, you see people come in and like cash out five thousand, ten thousand uh, dollar collections at their um, at the wow. uh, vendor stations. Uh, I heard someone uh, cashed out their entire collection for uh, for a lotus, <laughs> like huh. a, a nine lotus. Um, so wow. you know, it's serious transaction, and I, I'm sure China Fireball is sitting there sorting cards for the next you know four weeks or something. So <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, pe- yeah. people. I think people have noticed on uh, Reddit that. There are no foil goyfs in stock, or not foil goyfs, but goyfs in stock from MM2, and that's, I think, because they're sitting there sorting all their cards, right? Uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll see what they do, if they flood the market with them, or if they slowly release them over time, just to keep the uh, supply under control.
0: Well, one foil goyfs certainly got out, <laughs> that's for sure, but um, <laughs> we'll be talking about that in a minute. Um Just a couple, like, quick questions for you, Richard, so because you, uh, you were there. So, like, how were... How were like the logistics? I heard some of the things were slow, but some things were like not so slow. So like, um, yeah, so I, yeah. like,
1: the, I wasn't there for Thursday and Friday, but I heard, right. uh, initially the logistics were quite bad. Like some of their, yeah. uh, you know, kind of four round events, like took an extra three, four hours just to get started. Um, you know, they had problems with the systems and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of the actual main event, um, the only problem I ran into was you had to be exactly in that area or you couldn't hear the announcements. Uh, gotcha. You know, it took, I think I, I got there at like eight. By the time I finished round nine, it was ten. So that was like a good fourteen hours of magic. Wow, so yeah. a, a, each round took like an hour and fifteen minutes. It wasn't too bad. Um, you know, it, it was like maybe a fifteen minute delay between rounds. So oh, that's not six. too bad. Their product yeah. handout was pretty sweet. They, they gave you, um, like, you know, one of those, uh, I don't know, there's like 1,000, 2,000 count boxes inside of it where your six packs, your Gristle brand, a hind... Oh, they had a uh, hand-signed tokens by LSV. So uh, oh, poor that's soul really had cool. to sign 10,000 cards. <laughs> so they
0: gave <laughs> you like a box of like everything. Yeah, and the you know, oh, mat really was cool. rolled
1: up and everything. So it was actually a really smooth process to get your did, product. Did you
0: get to get your click mat?
1: Uh, So the, the click mat is the side event mat, and then... Etch Champion was their main event mat, and you had the yes. option of uh, switching your Edge Champion mat for your Click mat. Uh, I chose the Edge Champion mat because it had a logo of, like, the Las Vegas Convention Center or whatever on it, whereas they both say GP Las Vegas, but one of them looked more officially, so uh, I took that one. But it was actually a really <laughs> nice mat, too. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I like the mat. Um, But, yeah, like bathroom lines weren't too bad you know the the first one before the event was crazy but the convention center is actually large enough that there are multiple bathrooms that you can go to so that wasn't bad and they had food vendors inside Um, we were a bit far from the strip you had to take a monorail to get to the strip it was like a five minute ride um, like two miles so you kind of stayed at the convention center but i felt it was pretty good I, i didn't feel any any glaring problems um i didn't do the side events in the early days but i felt that's where all the problems were before they uh sorted that out
0: yeah um so okay overall was good so channel fireball uh i guess it was overall success, uh, success. um any other real uh seth do you have any uh, questions
2: how was the cards condition? Were there any issues with that? Like, as people were opening their pools?
0: Yeah, so, like,
1: one or two of my cards were nicked, but in general, I don't think there were that many issues. Um, you know, none of, none of my expensive cards had any issues. No one screamed that their Goyf was damaged, but their cards were actually quite loose. Like, if you just grab a pack of Modern Masters and shake it, it's like a pack of chiclets or something like the cards are, like, <laughs> rocking around in there, so it's like, I can see how cards can get damaged. Yeah. Um, if they're not careful with you know the, the case or whatever, the local game store just throwing them around, I, I can see how that can happen. But it's not; it wasn't too bad. I, I didn't get any damaged cards really, and I don't think any of my table got uh, severely damaged cards.
0: Right. So I guess uh, if they kind of fix that some issues with this packaging, we might see this as like a normal here in the future.
1: Yeah. The, the other thing is, I felt like it was really easy to repackage.
0: Like, oh yeah that's like true. if you look at it
1: like I felt like with a heat gun or like an exacto knife I could like just pry it open and, and put it back in and you wouldn't even notice yeah uh, so I, I do feel the security concerns are real but you know I didn't actually try it myself but it's basically like a box uh, and then there's like a little piece of glue just holding it together so you can just kind of undo that um but it looks cool I think they got to work on the security of it and the protection but uh hopefully they don't try it with the the biggest product of the year and they try it on su- supplemental products but the recycling the recycling aspect of it is is going to be great so i think they have the right idea they just got to execute it better
0: oh that's good all right so uh almost made G- uh day 2 so that's good congrats richard i'm glad you had a good time yep yeah I- i'm glad it was an overall success so I guess, uh, we'll be moving into, I guess, what I am uh, calling is the, the interesting story that's coming out of GP. So, um, just a quick recap, and I, this is really all the story is, is that, uh, in the top eight, uh, pro Pascal Maynard, uh, picked a foil goif over what was perceived to be the, the obvious choice pick, a burst lightning. So, that's really it. I, I mean, uh, it got really blown out of proportion, but I'll let you two chime in on that. So, Seth, you were kind of, I mean, I haven't really been uh, as active on social media. Uh, what is, I mean, really what has gone on to really blow this out of proportion, uh, what you would say, um, because really that was the story. So how did it get so kind of crazy?
2: Well, as soon as this pick happened, uh, Pascal got an almost universal negative reaction from the professional community. They had people coming out and saying they lost respect for him, he's disrespecting the game, like there's some purity to picking the Burst Lightning there over the $350 Tormaglyph. Uh Some of those people have since come out and apologized. Uh, but that's probably because the community at large, all the normal players, really pushed back and said, uh, Pascal did what any of us would have done. He did the, he made the right pick and taking the Goyf there, like 95% of the people that play magic would slam that foil Goyf and wouldn't think twice about it, whether they're in the GP or not. So that really shot the hype into overdrive, just this huge explosion on social media. And the story's still been dragging on since the Goyf got put up on eBay yesterday. Now, since
0: then, yeah, like, like Seth has mentioned, the Goyf has been put up on eBay, Pascal said that 50% of the proceeds are going to go to a charitable cause, um, so that's good. I mean, that's a that's a great thing. Um, the the goif is now nearing what, like sixteen thousand dollars or something like that. Yep. So I really don't think a stamp burst lightning probably would have made the <laughs> sixteen thousand at this point. Um, but really, like, it's not the fact of the foil Goyf, right? It's the fact that I I think this speaks more to like, the overall uh, payout of a GP, or, you know, Wizards payout in general, and it, maybe it speaks more to the more meta uh, discussion of, you know, eSports and how much these uh, professional players, quote-unquote, uh, get paid. And, um, you know, it's telling when... Yeah, okay, the burst lightning would be the optimal choice in, you know, a top eight of a GP to win a, you know, a draft event. But let's be honest, like, like you said, Seth, 95% of
2: people and including all three of us here in this cast would have picked that foil goyce. Yeah, I definitely would have taken it. And I wouldn't, I would I wouldn't even uh, agonized over it like he did. Like he went back and forth and like, checked it out looked at the condition yeah. like as soon as i saw it i i wouldn't even looked at the rest of the pack honestly even if i was on camera just see the guy <laughs> put it my pile pass <laughs> yeah i mean i would have probably i mean not probably i definitely
0: would have done the same thing i mean if they i think i've said it on this podcast before that if it was in a gp I'd, i probably would have walked away
1: <laughs>
0: so if they real if if pro players like are ostracizing uh pascal here they would have hated me
2: because
0: <laughs> – I would have done the exact same thing. And you're right, Seth, I wouldn't have even agonized over it. I would have just taken it and not even cared. And I really – it's just – it's kind of weird that this turned into a big thing because, I mean, I wouldn't have even really cared what anyone would have said anyway. But I know he's a pro player. He has like this persona and, you know, this professionalism about him, and and that's great. And I guess it's kind of more of like a stick it to the rest of the pro um, community when – he puts it up on eBay and now this goif is commanding sixteen thousand dollars. You know, while fifty percent goes to um, charity, I mean, he's making a lot more than three hundred fifty dollars at the end of the day, even with the eBay and you know whatever other fees. Yeah, I mean, um, the,
1: the funny thing is, someone yeah. did the calculation on Reddit afterwards, and it was like correct to get the the goif, even if the Goyf was worth like three fifty. Like he that. needed it needed to give him like more than eight percent chance increase in win percentage to. Um, uh, not be worth, or the Burst Lightning has even more than 8% chance, uh, to win a game, uh, to be worth it. And, you know, that's just one card that's not gonna happen. Um, so, I think, I think the more interesting part you said was the esports aspect of it. Like, uh, you know, this, this Boral Goyf alone is worth more than a total, uh, prize pool, of the top eight. You know, after, I don't know, what you have to play like 22 hours of Magic being the best one there, you know, you, you're gonna make some Peasley amount. And you know that a three hundred fifty dollar card will sway your decision. Like I think that's kind of the thing we learned from it. The prize payout needs to be more. Um, the other thing, the other thing to look at is, you know, why is there a card that's so expensive that someone needs to make this decision? Exactly. what, what is yep. wrong with MTG Finance or you know what what is going on here? You know, I think so. Kind of all of those aspects snowball together, and then here we are at Great Gate. Um, yeah. The good news is gamers helping gamers getting 50 percent that's like a, a is that is that finkels that uh, is
2: finkels yeah Yeah, that,
1: that's the that's finkels charity where uh they, they help gamers and magic gamers um so you know the, as a whole the community wins from this um so it, it turned out to be a good thing so all of this kind of uh, circus and drama is going to a good cause so that's good but it's very interesting to see how opinionated people were and you know, all the heated Twitter discussion uh, as this was going down.
0: Yeah, I think, um I mean, pro players aside, I mean, there's some really well-known names like, um, you know, well-named uh, pros that were, you know, it was kind of surprising that they had this kind of, you know, this kind of stance and opinion on what happened. I mean, it didn't really seem like a big deal. I, so like like Richard said, and like we mentioned, I think it's more speaking to that, you know, maybe these guys aren't perceived. You know the perception is these that these guys make you know X money when they really don't. I mean obviously him picking that that goif and it's even compounded with that these pros know Pascal's you know this is a, just some not even really research that I did it was kind of just cropped up on uh, social media outlets that you know Pascal wasn't able to financially go to these GPS because of his situation and I think that speaks a lot to. Again, what we were talking about that these guys don't get paid, you know, as much as people think and him having to deal, you know, go back and forth and really settle on picking the $350 card, you know, it speaks to a lot of different issues. It speaks to why are these cards so much money? You know, why don't they just let, you know, the cards just go down in value? I mean, why were people buying them up at $300, $130? I mean, it's, it's, it almost seems like people just don't want to let it go. Um, and yeah. here we are talking about Tarmogoyf again.
1: Did you guys read that weeks. Paulo article where he talked about his pro life? Um, the, the gist of it was like, I, I forgot when it was like 2000, the, the early 2000s or whatever when Paulo was like the number one player in the world and he was like winning all the tournaments. Uh, he said his winnings for that year for everything was $50,000. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he said he was fine with it because he's from like Brazil and, uh, or is he from Brazil? Somewhere in South America had, that, uh, Brazil. he, uh you know like that's actually a lot of money but for you know some random person you know it's a good chunk of money but you are like the best person yeah. in what you do and you have to go every weekend and do this and you that's only like, make 50,000 yeah. right like if you were you know a League of Legends player or a Hearthstone player or or any other esport you would make considerably more right let alone something like you know if i was an NFL player or a basketball player
0: right yeah to be
1: the best in your field and just make 50,000 um, it, it's hard, right? So, yeah. I think, you know, we should, something should be done with this pro scene, especially since it's Magic's, um, main way of promoting the game. Like, you know how big the pro tour is? It's just basically a showcase of the pros and right. you know, how they grab pros for every feature match. Uh, more needs to be invested kind of in this scene directly from Wizards to, to kind of keep the, uh, the image of the game, I guess.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, like, Wizards has been, or Magic the Gathering has been around for so long. You know, it's, you mentioned League of Legends, Hearthstone and all that. I mean, but Wizard, I mean, this game has been around for so long that it still seems kind of like they're stuck in like, like 10 years ago where they're still paying out X amount where, you know, you have a game like League of Legends that's been around for a couple of years and they're paying out like X amount of money already, you know? So I I don't know how that, I mean, we could spend an entire like two hour podcast talking about eSports and the the issues in eSports, but. I mean, obviously there's a problem. Obviously there's a problem in the pro payout and what, what these guys make. Because, yeah, I mean, Paolo making $50,000, and you, you mentioned it, he's like the, that's like the top 1% of players. Like, And that's still even, like, what, not even that much more than working at, like, a grocery store?
1: Yeah. And, dude, Magic is the original eSport, I think, because it used to be on yeah. ESPN, right? Was,
0: yeah. Was yeah. it the first, like, game to be
1: on ESPN? Like, I think, it, yeah. Like,
0: poker? A, <laughs> like yeah. you
1: know, an actual game game?
0: Yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember, I mean, that was like early, what, 90s? Maybe early 2000s? Something like that? I don't yeah. know, I don't remember the exact dates, but, uh, yeah, it, it's clearly a problem, and, um, yeah, so here we are with Goyfgate, but uh, ultimately it had a happy ending. Yeah. Um, Seth, do you have any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to mention that the other thing with the Paulo story is these tournaments are huge now, like back when Paulo was making 50k a year, He was winning 400, 500, 700 person GPs. It's way harder to be a professional and make money when you gotta battle 4,000, 8,000 other players just to get that like $2,000 second place prize or $4,000 first place prize. Yeah. And considering like the time, the travel and all that, it's like probably not even worth it at that point.
0: Yeah, it's, you know. it's more the time
1: for me. Like I don't know who wants to play nine hours of magic. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, and that's it. And you didn't even make G- day two. Like four you know?
1: hours is the cutoff where it's like, okay, I've had my fun. Now it's like work. You know, now <laughs> I'm doing it yeah. for some other
0: reason, right? Like, yeah. Imagine grinding those like you know, all the time. It's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that about wraps things up for Goif Gate and uh, you know, the GP Vegas. I- I'm glad it was a success. Unfortunately, this story like got blown out of proportion, but um, you know, here I am, really not thinking it was such a huge deal, and I think a lot of other people too. And I think that's, you know, the underlying thing of all this is that a lot of people kind of got outraged, just like, dude, really, like, <laughs> why, why is this becoming such a big thing, especially from the pro community? So uh, it's good that a lot of them did, uh, you know, since then have apologized. That's good, at least. So uh let's go into the price movement, Seth, and then we'll do fish mail and that'll about wrap it up for episode twenty one. There's no like other things we really needed to cover, so it's a good thing that we have a lot of fish mail. <laughs> <laughs> so um let's let's get through uh the price movement. So why don't you take us through it, Seth?
2: Alright, uh looking at the weekly changes in standard, uh Colligan's command is a big winner, up almost hundred percent, eighty three percent. Then we see almost actually every fetch land is on the list this week. Uh Wooded Foothills, Windswept Teeth, Polluted Delta, Flooded Strand, Bloodstained Mire. also Thought Seas, Hornets Nest, Court of Calling, and Anofenza the Foremost. As far as the losers, Dragonlord Ojitai actually knocked Narset out of the top slot this week. Narset <laughs> is the number two loser. Uh, so Dragonlord Ojitai followed by Narset. Uh, Stormbreath, Dragonlord Slumgar, Brizam, uh, King of Oresko, uh, Dragonlord Atarka, Miss Raptor, Goblin Master Ashiok, and Temple of Malady.
0: Yeah, so, so Seth, a couple of uh, anecdotes here. What's, um, what's intre- what stands out to you?
2: Oh, uh, well, the Fetchland's increasing across the board. I mean, it's not a huge increase, but it's interesting to see them all on there in the same week. I'm not, a- yeah. not 100% sure what that means. Uh, It might just be that people are looking towards rotation this fall and starting to make those purchases because they are very low and the supply isn't going to be entering the market anymore now that we're not drafting cons. And I guess we're starting to see some drops in cards that are heading in towards rotation too, like Rabblemaster, Ashiok, uh, The Temples, uh, Brimaz, those cards, Stormbreath, those are all cards that are only going to be legal for a couple more months, uh, and I think it's time to get out of them now if you're not playing them. Yeah, you wrote an article actually
0: recently on on the site, and it's funny that a few of these cars that you mentioned are showing up here on the list.
2: Yeah, that is that is kind of funny, but, I mean, it makes sense. It happens every year yeah, at this exactly. time, so yep. it's, it's, it's about time for this to happen. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I think um, what these fetchlands are doing, I mean, these could probably start trending upward now, you know, as you're going to need them uh, for the next standard um and it just makes sense that they're on the rise and sort of these scry lands and all these theros cards are on the decline because i mean yeah like you said it's rotation it happens every single year um but actually it's going to happen more so with these two uh set blocks so it's going to be a lot of interesting it's going to be interesting impact on the game uh going forward so
2: it's not going to be like this one giant
0: rotation uh in october anymore
2: yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that ends up affecting MTG Finance. I know from a player's perspective, it's going to make people buy cards more often because your cards yep. aren't legal as long. Uh, so I think that's Wizards' motivation for it. But from Finance, I really don't know. Like, normally you buy things over the summer, like looking towards rotation and seeing the big increases the following winter. But that whole yeah. schedule that we've run on for years now gets, like, shaken up and changed because of this. Yeah, and it might uh, actually make people move towards,
0: like, non-rotating formats. Uh, so maybe that's a good thing, too, for modern. Yep. Uh, speaking of the modern uh, format, the weekly changes, so just very quickly, all copies of Blood Moon are uh, showing up again on this list. Uh, Omniscience saw a huge increase, and that was, I mean, we were seeing buy list prices uh, very hot this, uh, over the the weekend, the triple GP weekend. Tarmogoyf is starting to rebound a little bit, uh, again attributed to some of those buyer list prices. Uh Snapcaster Mage is you know kind of just taking off at this point. Vendillion Click, a couple of Modern Masters 2015 cards, uh Scoop Mob, uh Scalding Tarn, and Sower of Temptation is on the rise again. Uh the Losers, Daybreak Coronet, both uh editions of those, Kozalek. Jace the Mind Sculptor, Kiki Jiki, Wiltleaf Liege, uh, Leyline of Sanctity, Iona, Remand, and uh, Wiltleaf Liege. So both copies of those. So basically a lot of the rares that were inserted into uh, Modern Masters 2015 are going down. A few of those uh, fringe mythics like Kozilek, uh, Kiki Jiki, um, and Jace the Mind Sculptor uh, kind of getting pushed out of legacy even at this point, right?
1: Um, Richard? I mean, he's always been kind of a one or two of in a deck that can find yeah. him, so he's, he's never been that popular. He still is the big daddy though, like, you play a Jace, you're probably gonna win. Um, yeah. So he'll always be there, but, you know, there's just, it's really hard to play a four mana card in legacy, <laughs> so you don't see him uh, as a four of in every deck.
0: Yeah, and with him being banned in modern, it only makes sense that, you know, the price is gonna start, Decreasing.
2: Yeah. Seth, anything that stands out? Well, speaking of cards that just win you the game when you cast them, Blood Moon is going crazy. Seventy-four percent increase. That's almost a doubling in price. I had someone on Twitter message me today and said, "I can sell my the Dark Blood Moons for forty-one dollars. Should I do it? Forty-one dollars buy list pricing for Blood Moon. It's it's insane."
0: Yeah. Yeah, buy list. Yeah, that's, that is really insane. I mean, there's really, I mean, without a reprint, I don't know what, I mean, these really are only going to go up. I mean, but my mantra and, uh, you know, this was said to me, uh, by a good friend, Brian, uh, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. So, you know, if you're cashing out on those blood moons, I mean, I would, I would be doing that at this point. Um, you know, never kind of, don't hold for too long.
2: You
0: know, yeah, that was my too. Yeah. Uh Omniscience saw a in drastic increase along with uh it, it didn't show up on here. Uh, maybe it did. Legacy Yep, Cunning Wish. Uh because the- those are main staples in uh in Omnitel, which is very popular these days.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure why Omnitel is suddenly so popular. Um Omniscience going through the roof. Uh you know, it's only played in Omnitel. <laughs> Um, right. So, it, it's actually interesting that it, it's going through the roof. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if, you know, the, the problem with these, um, big fatties, like, uh, omissions, uh, wizards always print another one. You know, when, yeah. when you think it can't get any worse, you know, gristle brand comes down, right? Or <laughs> emmercurls out or omniscience right? Like, they always print some really high mana cost card that does something really oppressive. Um, so I don't know how long Omnitel will stay. Maybe it's, the ultimate card, and they're never going to replace it. Or, you know, there'll be Emerald Plus next year being released for a uh, battle Present card, and everyone will use that. So, uh, that is just a little asterisk for your uh, show and tell decks there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, you make a great point. Uh, other than that, I mean, at this point, Snapcaster Mage, I don't know. I mean, it's only going to go up. Basically, the train left the station on those. Uh, Sower of Temptations, interesting. Uh, didn't get a reprint. It, it's kind of fringe playable, but always, also very good in, you know, casual settings. So, you know, that could always keep commanding a, a premium. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really see anything uh, really jumping out at me. Uh, Seth, any kind of final thoughts on any of these? Or No. You know, the, the, the losers make more sense. The winners are basically, you know, cards. We're starting to see that increase on cards that were not included in the Modern Masters 2015
2: set. Yeah, that that basically sums it up. It's stuff that didn't get reprinted and is very playable, and some stuff that is getting more popular. Grixis Delver, some people are saying, is the best deck in Modern, and Scalding Tarn is, like, a key land for that deck. So yeah. it's some stuff that is either trending because it's uh, suddenly getting more tournament play, or it just wasn't reprinted. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, really keep an eye on some of these
0: uh, reprinted cards, non-reprinted cards, because, uh, you know, uh, in the past, you know, there was that kind of, um, grace period, but, you know, in, in this community, the community getting bigger, uh, as a whole, uh, there's dem- more demand for these cards, so it, it's not gonna be like, you know, if, if, it's, if it wasn't reprinted and it's suddenly seeing play, it, it's gonna, sp- it's gonna go up, uh, a lot faster than it would have the first time around. Um, so that, that takes care of that. Uh, so let's jump into the fish mail. Um, so Kim H, uh, at random K H O, uh, while not an MTG finance fail, checking an older article on DTK EV, what would be the lessons learned? Um, so you did an EV article on dragons of Tarkir, Seth. Uh, what would be the lessons learned going back and looking at those?
2: Well, I mean, for me, the big, the big takeaway is it is still possible in this day and age for vendors to underprice a set during the pre-order period. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't think could happen. Like since Jace came out, there's been this huge tax on premium cards and on mythics. And this time around, for some reason, cards that ended up being the most expensive cards in the set, like Death Raptor, Dragonlord, Ojitai, were priced incredibly cheaply. Like they were five bucks at one point. So it's just big misses by the vendors, I think.
0: Yeah, and you know a lot of people writing literature on on the subject as well. I mean, you, you just never know like what is going to be good until people are playing them, or until you know certain pros, you know, Patrick Chapin in this instance, uh, you know, really pushing the card, and that drives a lot of the community to go play this card because it's good. Um, you know, I think it's good that. You know, as finance writers, we go back and kind of look things over and review ourselves, you know, and take accountability of things that, you know, we did not account for, you know, that we didn't hit or we we missed. Because you're right, Seth, a lot of, the, like, Dragon Lord, Ojitai, Deathmiss, Raptor were pre-selling for, like, five bucks. And a card like um, uh, Ojutai's Exemplars was, like, nine ninety nine. So 99 So it's just, you know, you would think you're right, like, since the Jace days, you know, what's the next Jace? What's the next, like, Boros Reckoner? We don't want to get it wrong. I mean, but people get it wrong, so... Even the vendors. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I think it's a nod to development. I, I think we, we are underestimating them, because, you know, the impression initially was, oh, you know, these cards are barely playable, like, who wants to play with right. these cards? These suck. And uh, these turn out to be great cards, and it turns out that uh, they play a pivotal role in Standard. So, you know, trust in you know, the wizards design team, the development team that they've actually made cards that are playable and it's not dry, right? right? Yeah. So I think that's, that's something we, we kind of forgot there. We just went kind of full finance, right? Said, oh, these cards suck and this is the next homelands, but turns out that, uh, you know, we, we kind of knew that, you know, we hadn't played with them. So we don't know for sure, but, uh, wizards has played with them and it turns out that uh, they were correct and that these cards were playable. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see how that affects a uh, spoiler evaluation for Magic Origins which is coming up shortly.
0: Yeah, that was a great point, Richard. I mean, at the end of the day, Wizards already knows like what what's good and what's not because they're like kind of ahead of us in the uh development pipeline. So, that that was a really good point. I mean, they probably knew like Dragonlord Ojutai was going to be a dominant force. Uh that Deathmist Raptor was going to have its uses and like cards like Dem Protector were, you know, the the interaction there was so good. Um so yeah, I think it was just a, a miss on all accounts. Um, you know, some some sets get evaluated better than others. You're never going to get a the best of you know, 100% good evaluation on any set. Um, but it was it's good that to to look back on that. I'm sure you you do the same, Seth, when you look back on those EV articles.
2: Always want to learn from stuff like that, definitely. And one thing yeah. about the EV is. Uh Just to be clear, that's just a number. That's based on what the cards are selling for at that time. So there's not really any right or wrong to that. It just is. Like, that's what the math says. But I definitely yep. missed on some of my evaluations of individual cards. Like, Ojitai I talk about all the time, was one of the big ones. So
0: Yeah, myself included. I mean, Death, miss Raptors, you know, Dem Protector, we didn't really hit right off the bat. So it's good to kind of keep mental notes, even a list even. And we certainly do that for our listeners and our readers. Um, so, MK at Spellslinger87, do you think this is a good time to buy, uh, Magic or Modern Masters 2015 uh, Bobs, or do you think they will still drop a bit more? Uh, so Bob referring to Dark Confidant.
2: Uh, Seth? Um, so Dark Confidant, right now, I'm just checking his price is $46.11. Um, I would not be interested in buying Bob at that price. I think that until something changes with the format, uh, he just doesn't really have a place anywhere in Modern right now. So I think that he'll continue to trend down uh, until that changes.
1: Yeah. Uh, Richard? Yeah. And to add to that, like, uh, the the supply from the GPs hasn't made it out yet, right? So we, we haven't really seen any change in price, um, you know, for the last week or so. Uh, so if you are looking to pick up Bob's just to play with, I would still wait out until the supply starts hitting the market. Uh, we should see it drop a bit as uh, all of the cards that Channel Fireball picked up over the weekend uh, make it back out to the market. So definitely wait. Um, but um, Bob is a good card. You know he, he will come back at some point. So you just got to get in before that happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and on top of what Richard said, uh, Seth, we know that there's like that reorder making its way around the stores across the uh, the country. So a lot more drafts being fired, uh, especially this week,
2: right? Yeah, there's still plenty of Modern Masters to come by all accounts. So I think that the supply issue is a big one and another reason to hold off on buying. Yeah, so just to add on to
1: this question, you know, currently I think Modern Masters boxes are going on eBay for $200. So they've dropped significantly, which, which kind of implies to me that there's ample supply sitting around. Um, so there's not that math shortage uh from the original modern masters that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, and that's under the MSRP at this point, yeah. right? <laughs> um all right, so at Nedwig 1 uh Ned uh so did I miss the bottom for modern masters 15 staples on Magic the Gathering online? Seems like already rebounding. Uh you two play
2: online more than I do, uh so you guys could feel this one uh Seth. Well, there's this weird thing that happens with online prices. Uh, usually, prices start off kind of low and often rise over the first weekend, like Sunday to Monday of the first weekend after a set release. Uh, and then over the course of the rest of the draft, which for Modern Masters goes on until the 16th, I believe, so about two more weeks, um, the prices will slowly trend down a little bit until it gets near the end of that period. So I don't think you miss the floor, I think you just missed this weird period at the beginning of the set release where prices start out low, go up a little, and then drop down again. Yeah. Uh, Richard?
1: Yeah, I think the interesting thing I see with Magic Online is reprints are always uh, undervalued at first. Um, we always overestimate the supply. Uh, we're going to see this when we talk about Wasteland as well, but uh, whenever there's a reprint, like a mox promo or anything, on the first day... People list their items really low, thinking there's just so much supply being pumped into the system, and then that usually turns out to be false, and then the prices actually rise after a while. Um, so, uh, based on my experience, uh, I think this actually may be the floor. Um, you know, based on like cars like Wasteland, uh, Lion's Eye Diamond, things like that, we we've been really bad about reprints. Um, so it would not surprise me if that was the case. Um, but I don't think there will be much price movement from them. Like, even if you missed it, you missed it by a couple bucks or a couple percent. Um, so I don't think it will be too much. But uh, I think we always overestimate how popular Magic Online is. It's not as popular as everyone
0: thinks it, it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> Worth, what are you doing, man? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, and we have a fish mail from our avid listener in Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, I have been awaiting Tempest Remastered anxiously as I didn't own Wastelands on MTGO. The price of Wastelands didn't drop as much as, as I had anticipated. Should I interpret this as Tempest Remastered not being a very big hit? How will this influence the likelihood of us getting another similar reprint on MTGO down the line? There are several legacy staples that are in need of a reprint to lower prices. Rashad and Poor, Misdirection, Days, uh, etc. As Tempest Remastered was announced, I felt certain that this was the first line of remastered sets with Mercadian Masks. The next to follow, but now I am not so sure. What do you guys think? Uh, again, the you guys are the MTGO guys. Uh, Seth?
2: Um, well, I don't think Tempest Remastered was very popular. I drafted it a few times, and I definitely remember sitting in queues for 15 or 20 minutes waiting for eight people to join the draft, which doesn't happen. Like I've been drafting modern masters recently and they fill up in 30 seconds or a minute. So it was way less popular than most formats, maybe even less popular than like the standard formats, like cons of Tarkir and dragons of uh, Tarkir. So I think that that is an issue. I don't know if this will prevent wizards from doing it again, though. I tend to think that they still might. It kind of took this cube slot in the moto rotation so I don't know, like, how that balances out in their finances, like how much worse off they were selling Tempest Remastered than doing Phantom Cube. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Richard?
1: Yeah, just to recap the price history. So Wasteland was kind of going on about 100, 110 tickets uh, at the beginning of or at the end of February. And then the Tempest Remastered announcement came out. Uh, the price dropped to about 50. Um, and then by the time... Uh, Tempest Remastered is actually released, it was $40, but since then uh, it has crawled back up to about uh, $70. So it's about the same price as uh, post-announcement but pre-release of Tempest Remastered. And so the basic result was the release of it did nothing, right? <laughs> like where The release of it did nothing, it's just the announcement of it dropped the price and we're at that price. Um, like I said earlier, I think we always vastly overestimate the supply of Magic Online products. And in this case, uh, the format's not that popular. I didn't feel the need to play it. So I didn't play it at all. Um, I actually held my wastelands through this entire period because I was lazy and I forgot. And it worked <laughs> out fine for me. Um, but, uh, I think we will continue reprinting cards. You know, the, the minute, the minute Wizards stops reprinting these cards is the actual death of Legacy. Like they've actually given up all hope in the format. Um, so for now, Legacy is a Magic Online only format. Uh, you can see that with you know the the readily uh, available dual lands and you know other staples. So things like Days, which I don't know what the price is now, but it used to be like sixty dollars for some reason. Um, I think we'll see them uh, either in another remastered set um, or uh, another Masters Edition set. But I think they'll do something about it because uh, the you know the card prices are ridiculous, right? For the same reason they reprint Modern Masters 2015 in paper, they'll do the same thing for uh, Legacy in uh, Magic Online.
0: Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, those were some really good fish mails this week. Um, thanks for, you know, getting those into us. Uh, I'm glad we can get through them all. Um, so, yeah, just just tweet at us at the hashtag MTGfishmail, and we'll get to all of them on cast, hopefully. Uh, so that was good, guys. Uh, um, some really good questions. Um, so I think that, I think that wraps things up. I think we covered everything. We got, uh, Vegas, we got Tarmogate, whatever, Goifgate, um Price Movement and Fishmail. So I think that wraps it up for episode 21. So thank you guys for, for, for joining us here on another MTG Goldfish podcast. We will see you next time for episode 22. This is us signing out.